This episode of the West End Stories Project discusses the heroin epidemic of the 60s and 70s, so listener discretion is advised. This is right, so that means it's recording. So how you doing today? I'm doing all right. Yay! <laughs> Former youth football coach Mazo Stevenson Jr. grew up in the West End and remembers the effects of new construction in the community and the Vietnam War. Well, thank you so much for coming in this morning. Now, I appreciate the opportunity to share my little thoughts about this community. Here is story in episode 22 of the West End Stories Project. I'm Key, manager of the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Libraries West End Branch. Thanks for listening. Were you born in the West End? I would have been. My mama had an apartment down here. Well, she went down back home to visit a family down in Arkansas. And I was born down there. I've been up here since I was six months old, though. Okay. So your mom's from Arkansas? Yeah, mother and father both, Pine Bluff. When did they move up? Ooh, my daddy moved up here twice. He moved up here when he was 13 and lived out in Lincoln Heights. Then when my mama got married, my mama was 15 when she came here. My dad had to be about 17, 18, 19 years old. You know, she was, like I say, 15, you know? And then she already had a child. She left my older sister down south. And then she got pregnant with me. And her mama, come, her mama was by herself because her daddy worked on the railroad, so he was never home. And they was cotton pickers, you know? It was farmers. They was, they was, they lived off the land, you know? So, did your dad meet your mom in Arkansas? Oh, yeah. He was like, I guess you would say, a young foreman. He was, he had control over the workers and all this, because my mama told me when she married him, she had to pick cotton no more, you know? So he he drove the tractor. He'd been driving the tractors and stuff since he was nine years old, you know? You could tell he, he was from the country because he still drove with two feet. You know, when he driving tractors and them gears and stuff, they, they need both feet. So he still drove a regular car with two feet. You know, country, you know, country, country men, they love speed. And my daddy used to, you know, I, I went ride with him when I was young. If I had to, I, I'd stay home. You know, i stay, for real, true story, I'd stay home. In the 1950s, Stevenson said his family was one of the few black families who lived in the Laurel Homes Housing Project, which is considered one of the first integrated housing projects in the United States. Where was the first place you lived? That I could remember was the Laurel Homes. But my mother told me we lived on 9th Street before, you know, I was, like I say, on 9th Street before we got to the Laurel Homes. I don't remember 9th Street at all. I remember the homes. It was a, the first apartment was a two bedroom. You know, it was nice. You come in the front door, you could go to the 
You took the table aside, the street was on, you go to the left, the living room, or it was a door right there, you could walk straight into the kitchen where you're cooking, you ate at. Then you come out the hallway, and there's two, you know, two little house, short little hallway, two bedrooms. It was nice, it was nice. What they put over there now ain't nice as in the little home. They should have just redid them. It was solid, it was solid, it was solid. Cause when we first moved in there, it was uh, when if it's only two or three black families in there, and we was one of. Uh, I played with most of these white kids. My mom we got called out her name a couple of times, and she, and she was like I say, 15, 16, 17 years old. She wasn't. She wasn't having it. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It was nice. Projects was nice. It was well kept. They had rules, regulations. Nice. When Laurel Homes opened in 1938, families had to make between $538 and $1,680 a year to live in a housing project. What did your mom do for a living? Well, when she first started working, she worked at Frisch's. Out there by Western High School. She worked out there for, because like I said, she got mad coming from the country, education. She wasn't like her little sister. Her little sister went back and got, got, a, got a high school diploma and all this. My mom would just worry about taking care of the family. So she worked at Frisch's out there. And then she went to the other Frisch's when they opened up on over Kentucky. Then she got her big break, got on the Jewish hospital where she, where she retired from. Well, there was a lot of restaurant jobs for her in, in her younger days. So she, um... Was she working when you were a kid? Oh, all the time. All, we had to lie. She was scared to go raise our rent. We had to tell her, they say, where your mama at? She at home. Well, she's somewhere, but my mama will be at work. You know, I come from a Frisch's family, for real. A Frisch's family? Yeah, because my mama worked at Frisch's. Her sister worked at Frisch's, the one who wound up getting, you know, who wound up super rich. Got her, got her high school thing, started her own business, owned a lot of property. You know, my daddy worked, so his first job was at Frisch's. And my, my, my mama's sister's husband worked at Frisch's. It was deep because my mama and her brother-in-law worked at the Frisch's out here in Western Hill. And my mom, I mean, my father and my mama's sister worked in, uh, out there on Duck Creek Road. Out there, I don't know if you call it Elveston or Madisonville. Mm-hmm. And in the summertime, I used to go out there every Monday and help my father clean a lot. For two big boys in the coat. <laughs> he started there at Frisch's. He left there, then he worked at this woman's clothing store, high end. You know, he was the maintenance. I don't know why a store needed maintenance, but he made good money out there. My mama was very, she she never complained about where he worked at. <laughs> or, you know, he worked at Franklin Simon when they first opened up Swift and Commons. That was one of the first stores that was in there. It was called Franklin Simon, a store out of New York. He worked there, and then he wound up down at the old, uh, what's the hotel? He retired from the hotel, uh, what's the name of the hotel? It became the Millennium, but it was, I can't think of what it was before then. He, ret- he worked there for about 20 years, retired from there. And in between, like I say, he'd be working because he worked third shift, so he couldn't sleep before he go to work, because he literally played number, him and my mom were big number players. <laughs> they has been, oh man on both sides of the river every day, every day. 
And you see my father pick my mom up and they go and go over the river. He hustled, that's why he started hustling. Because he ain't like he was cheap. He ain't like spending his money. He likes spending other people's money. <laughs> when he retired, he he became matter of fact, he's one of the first bootleggers, you know, for riding with people around the community. You know, carrying their groceries, you know. He didn't carry their groceries, but he'd drive them around. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he drove about four generations of families from down here. So he and, was a bootlegger in the West End? Yeah, Kroger's on Vine. The original. He was the last one. They, when the feds came down with busting everybody, they gave him a, made him a, what they call a gopher because he go to Irons for him. And then he had a little clientele, you know, private clientele. That, he wasn't the first person I knew who had a phone. Oh, he the first one. This is his legal one from this. He the first one to start taking food stamps, paper food stamps. He come home with stacks on. I mean, I don't live there. I said, well, you got these at? Y'all don't get no stamps. He said, just like money. He said, go look at ice bar. Look like. I'm like, well, he he take food stamps instead of cash. If a person didn't have no money for that food stamps, he bought her. He would board, he would. So he would take the food stamps for boot, um, for like bootleg rides. Yeah, yeah, and for they had the cards. He can't do it now. He have too many cards. <laughs> <laughs> he was a character. While he lived in the West End, he attended four schools and was put out of half of them. I got put out of Saint. I got put out the Catholic school. Why'd you get put out of Saint Joseph? Being late for church, we had to go to church every morning before school. And by me in the projects, I come all the way down. Where we live was in the middle of the project, so I had to walk all the way down the street. And we going to church, and I see all my friends on the school ground playing basketball, football, you know, sports. And I'd be like, and I played sports, so, and they were my friends. Me and my older sister to argue about that every day. She tried to put her hands on me, <laughs> tried to drag me to church. And I always made it just as my class be coming out of church. And they caught me one time. Told me to write a thousand times I was, I was in the second grade, tell me I would not be late for church. And I told him I ain't writing that. And that's when my mama found out what I was doing every day <laughs> for about two weeks for Cause he come home with holes in my pants, cause we're playing over there, and we weren't allowed to wear gym shoes over here at the Catholic school. So I'd be playing in dress shoes and be slipping and falling, tearing holes in my pants. And I choose to my mama to come from there in the church all the time. Remember that? I remember that. I remember that. So you told her that you had been kneeling. Yeah, cause we had to go to church. See, Catholic mass is up, down, up, down, up, down. Oh man. Now before they put them the knee things, you was on concrete back then. You had no knee rests back then. You was on concrete. What was your experience like at Washburn? At first, it was good. Made good grades. Maybe beyond average grades. You know, I was, I was in, the, I was in the, what they call the smart classes, where we passed an afternoon. Instead of being in one class all morning, we passed an afternoon. When the weather be right, get to go outside and all this, make good grades. But I had a problem. What they would call a nerd today, we had like little nerdy people. Because, you know, a community had expanded. They built Parktown up. You know, when I first started with St. Joseph, Parktown wasn't there. It was now building it, you know. 
And then they built a village in the 50s. And Stanley Road, and we think the community and got bigger. And, you, and it's like everybody trying to mash. And we, we did a lot of fighting back then. We never killed each other, but we did a lot of fight, you know. So you're saying? Had a lot of fights at Washburn. Are you, so would you say you identified as a nerdy person or you didn't or were you picked on because you were doing was, well in school? I was, it was some of both. It was some of both because the people who I took class with became my friends. I see them, you know, we in school, we were in school, what, six, seven hours? I'm with this person six, seven hours. I ain't with the people in the projects, and they be, may want to pick on them, you know. And uh, it just got out of hand. From the mid-60s to 70s, the West End, like many U.S. communities, saw heroin use surge. At one time, you could live in the projects and leave your doping all night. Don't have to lock your doors. Just how they say out there in the suburbs, that was for real down here. They got... It take one person to get hooked, get somebody to try, and see. And the stuff back then, they was getting, I guess, for Vietnam over in Asia, was strong. Because you could tell who was who was who was used. I mean, it was obvious. They had marked that's whatever they cut it with, marked marked their body bad. They had stripes. And in the winter, in the summertime, it'd be hundred degrees out here. They got on long sleeves, coat. I mean, shirts. Someone wearing the coat because they was out trying to steal because they was young. Like I lost a lot of my best friends who I grew up with to Heron. We go to junior high school and they on Heron in junior high school. I'm talking about full-fledged addicts. Full-fledged. At Bloom. In Bloom Junior High School. And all of a sudden, next time you see them one week, next time you don't see them. Next time you see them, they nod now. Or you walk into a hallway, you see a bunch of them because they had nowhere to go because they was kids. So they find an empty hallway where ain't no lot of traffic coming in. You could tell them hallway because I always smell like vomit, with their body rejecting it. And it was rough. You're saying that the halls at the school sometimes smell no, that way? No, no, no. They ain't come to school with that. Especially at Bloom. We could, with Bloom. They, I know your days called Bloom or Jailhouse. Jailhouse? Yeah, because they just lock us in. To protect us from the outside environments. And then the outside environment. How they do now, how they lock the doors down. Bloom with the first school did this. I was in Bloom in the 60s. That movie Cooley High ain't got nothing on Bloom. They could have came to Bloom and made that movie. For real. Bloom saved a lot of people. My, when I, I'm not first year going to Bloom in the seventh grade. You heard so many rumors, this and that. See, because now you feel really in the mix. You mix with people from over in the Mohawk area. You know, these people you're going to see six days, five days a week. You mix with people from that area. Then we had the canyon down there where Crowley Field was at. And we had, at one time, people on this side, from the courts, and up on John, was still going to Mount people over the Rhine. You know, it's, a, it's an influx. It was like, Bloom, look, Bloom saved a lot of people because for some reason the teachers cared for real. Back then, they cared. They cared. You miss a, you miss a minute of their class. I'm talking about one minute. Why you, oh man, Bloom. And they tried to save everybody, but they couldn't save them all. 
Like a lot of my friends I grew with, gone. And it started with that heroin addiction. Unlike many of his friends, Stevenson didn't fall prey to heroin use, but he did fall prey to ennui. My second year, I'm on the basketball team and all this, and played football. Something just happened. I just snapped. I just started playing hooky. Just started playing hooky. You know, and spamming with a little weed. Don't tell no lie. Drinking a little bit. Sent me to Macmillan Adult Center. I did all right up there for, the, for that half year. Met some more friends this time from Comerville, Bond here. You know, we, even up there with some, some of the white boys that went to the Hope was in the Bob Hope house. They were living in there. I mean, it was like, Everywhere I've been, I've been experienced. And you know, get in trouble up there in my second year. Cause, cause I, I claimed a teacher put his hand on but he did, he grabbed my jacket. And I got put out of there. Then I went to the out of school neighborhood youth corps. You know, where you could go to, they pay you to go to school. And that's what turned me around, I had some good counselors. XUC basketball players turn me totally around. Then I go back to school. That's why I go to TAG, because I'm ready now. But my mama didn't want me back in school. And I was, I was ready. I was ready. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the West End Stories Project. The Western Stories Project is brought to you by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library and is co-produced by your host, Key, and our reference coordinator, Kent Mulcahy. If you like what you've heard, listen and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and help us get discovered by leaving a review. Thank you. Cutting it right there. Can we come back? So I'm gonna listen to the what I have and and see, um, you yeah, know. Yeah, because you get to none of the questions. Well, I, I kind of know a lot of these by heart, actually. You got me talking like I'm a psychiatrist. <laughs> no, I mean, I, there's a lot of these I kind of know, and some of these you already kind of answer. But I figure I'll go back. And okay, these are just know. like starter questions. Okay, just let me know. But some of it just kind of flows. Yeah. Um, so I'll probably listen and see what yeah. I have, and if I, I have enough for an episode. Too. Well, go ahead. Not right. I'm no, about, you can tell me no, now. No, no, no. Tell, now. First, no, no, first, no, 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 no. <laughs> It's recording now. Go ahead and talk about the terminal. No, I pretty it was before they made it all see me. Say it again, what? How pretty it was. It, it was a big, pretty park. Back then, in the 60s, my auntie used to babysit my mama and be at work. We used to take that uh, rack out the oven and take a big old knife, big kind of knife, and go down there and cut into the ground. Take aluminum foil and patch in there. We go get sticks and twigs, newspaper and all this. And they have a little truck on. And we barbecue right there in the ground. Under the big tree, big pretty. Man, look, tournament was pretty. From where you see that lot started, it was all park, all green, all the way back. I mean, you could get lost in there. You mean before the parking lot was built? Yeah, before they, before they took it, made it to the museum. Man, that was a hangout. It was like a lover's lane. It was like eating park. But pretty.
So you remember it when it was a park? Yeah. I remember every time I walked down, they went and looked at it. Uh-uh-uh. 